0: On today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. So
1: much of what you do in your life has an influence on Mm -hmm. how something manifests or develops. And so I think taking back that power and knowing that you have a lot more control than you ever thought.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Real Foodology Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Swan. I am so happy that you're here. This week's episode is a topic that I have gone over a couple times now on the podcast, but I like to revisit it because different people give different perspectives. And I also think that it's a really, really important topic of conversation for women's health right now. So I interview Nicole Jardim. You guys probably know her. Hopefully you know her from her Instagram, Nicole M. Jardim. She's a certified women's health coach, writer, speaker, mentor, and the creator of Fix Your Period, which is a series of programs that empower women and menstruators to reclaim their hormonal health using a method that combines evidence-based information with simplicity and sass. She also wrote a book called Fix Your Period and she has a really great presence on Instagram, which is how I initially found her a couple of years ago. She has a wealth of knowledge all about women's health and menstruation, ovulation, hormones, etc. So if you're not following her, please stop what you're doing and follow her immediately. She has really helped me a lot. And even though we, we focus mostly today on the pill and root cause and things that you can do to get to the bottom of the root cause. Um, there's a lot that she covers on her Instagram and in her book and in her program. So definitely check it out if, you were, if you're a woman and you have a cycle and you have questions about hormones and hormonal balance and all of that. She's a really great source of information. So yeah, in this episode we dive into her story and what happened to her in her teen years in regards to being on the pill and her cycle. We talk a lot about the side effects of the pill, what are common causes for heavy bleeding, especially heavy bleeding in teen years, what you can do about endometriosis, how sex hormones impact our insulin and glucose levels. We talk about dietary intervention for hormonal imbalance, things to eat. We cover a lot of it. So I don't really want to do any more of this intro. I just want to get straight into the episode because it's a really great episode. I enjoyed this a lot and I hope that you guys get a lot out of it. As always, I would love if you could take a moment just to rate and review the podcast. I cannot stress how much it means to have your support and really how much it helps the show. And it takes about a minute to leave a rating and review. So if you're loving the podcast, please take a moment to do that. Also, if there's an episode that you really love that resonated with you, if you want to share it on Instagram and tag me at Real Foodology. That would be amazing and it would really, really help the show a lot. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and I'm so glad that you guys are here. Let's get to the episode. Well, with the holidays around the corner, it means that we are also in cold and flu season. I don't know how it got here so fast, but here we are. In these colder months, I really like to focus on immune support. And one of the things that I like to take is Critical Immune from Organifi. You guys know I love Organifi. I've been working with them and using their products for years now. And one of the things that I really love about them, outside of them being organic, but all of their products are glyphosate residue free. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know the importance of that. Glyphosate is an herbicide that is showing up in a lot of our food and it is linked to cancer. So I'm a huge fan of Organifi's products. Uh, I really like their Critical Immune because it has... Things like astragalus in there, which is a potent adaptogenic root used in Chinese medicine for its immune-enhancing properties. It also has olive leaf. Every time I've felt like I was about to get sick and I've taken high doses of olive leaf, I actually haven't gotten sick. It's an immune herbal extract and potent antioxidant first used in ancient Egypt where it served as a symbol of heavenly power. It's pretty cool. There's also elderberry in there, which is known to promote immune health. It's also really high in vitamin C. And then there's something called andrographis, which is known as the king of bitters. And in Ayurvedic medicine, it's used to treat a variety of illnesses, including respiratory health. While you're on Organifi's website, definitely check out their gold product. I also love the red and green juice. Again, everything is organic. Everything tastes really good. They also have a pumpkin spice gold right now. That's really great in coffee, or it's a fun little treat to have before bed because it really helps to relax you, which I know sounds counteractive if you put it in your coffee, but it actually helps to mitigate the jitters. So I'm a huge fan of all the Organifi products. And if you guys want to check them out and get 20% off, go to Organifi.com slash RealFoodology and you are going to get 20% off. Again, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash RealFoodology and you are going to get 20% off. Well, friends, the holidays are officially upon us. I cannot believe that I'm even recording this ad right now because it feels like they are coming very quickly. So I wanted to share a couple uh, gift ideas that I think would be awesome for anyone in your life that's either struggling with some sort of health issue or if they are on a path to get healthier. So I'm a huge fan of the Higher Dose Infrared Sauna Blanket. I've had one for... Man, it's been like 4 years now. And what it is is it's a essentially like a a sauna blanket that you can lay on anywhere in your house, on your bed, just as long as your bed does not have flammable materials in it. You can lay it on your couch, you can do it all, do it on your floor. And I always joke that it's like my sauna burrito because it just wraps you in and then you get a really good infrared sweat in. It promotes circulation, enhances deep relaxation. It helps with energy. It may also help with chronic fatigue. It helps you get a better sleep at night. Not to mention, you guys know, I talk about toxins all the time on this podcast and sauna, infrared saunas are the best way to get out all of the toxins that we are being exposed to on a day-to-day basis. So experts recommend that we do a sauna sweat at least a couple times a week. So that is a great option for a gift. They also have their infrared PMF mat. And this is something that I turn on at night when I'm in bed while I'm reading. I also love to do it during the day when I kind of need a little bit of a boost, like when I'm podcasting or I'm sitting on my computer. There's different settings based on what you're trying to do, whether you're meditating and reading and trying to get ready for bed, or if you are working and you need a little bit of an energetic boost. What it does is it grounds you in the earth's magnetic field for a full body reset. It is so freaking cool. They also have a travel mat. So if you have anyone in your life that travels and is interested in this, I would definitely check that out. And then last but not least, they also have a red light face mask, which helps to rejuvenate the skin it activates a natural glow. It boosts your mood and it's just overall really great for um, if you are looking to improve your skin. If you would like to try any of these products from Higher Dose, just go to higherdose.com. That's H-I-G-H-E-R-D-O-S-E.com and use code REALFOODOLOGY and you are going to save
2: 15%.
0: Thank you so much for coming on today, Nicole. I'm very excited to talk about all this.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited as well. I've been looking forward to this.
0: So for our listeners that are unaware of your work, can you tell everyone a little bit about your story and how did you get into the world of health and um, specifically women's menstrual health?
1: Yeah. So I was a teenager with the worst period problems. That's basically how it started. I'm pretty straightforward. I remember going to sleepovers and my friends' moms would put towels down on the bed for me when I had my period and it was the most mortifying thing ever. Um, and I, Especially you know, at that I, age. Oh, yeah, because, you know, like between the ages of 10 and 18, everything is just so traumatizing, right? It's like the, yeah. the, everything is just terrible. And so I remember that and I remember things like being terrified of leaking through my school uniform at school and, mm. you know, all of these issues and the pain that I would have, you know, would keep me at home from school like once a month, um, you know, pretty much every month. And so... All of these things just sort of seemed normal because I remember my mom saying to me that she had it exponentially worse. And so I thought, okay, well, I guess this is just how things are. And, you know, I remember getting my period and it was all normal and everything. And then it just sort of progressively got worse. And
2: mm-hmm. it wasn't
1: until I was in my late teens that I finally went and saw my mom's gynecologist. And she immediately put me on the pill after I told her about all the problems I was dealing with. And for everyone who's listening, it was the heavy periods, like I said, the period pain, you know, the kind that makes you see stars. And, you know, wow. they were irregular cycles as well. So every three, months i was getting a period and i had these crazy mood swings which you know teenagers but still it didn't feel normal and so when i got on the pill i was like yes, this is my solution. I finally found something that actually works. And, you know, from within a month, obviously we'll talk about how the pill works, but within a month I had no period pain. My period was regular. I had no heavy bleeding anymore. Everything had stabilized. And I just, I felt completely renewed. And I was like, I'm going to be on this thing forever. Cause if it's this good right off the bat, great. But then of course, as, as is the case with everything on Within about a year or so, I started to notice symptoms, but I didn't know what they were, and I just thought, okay, well, maybe this is just part of what it is to be, I don't know, on the pill. I wasn't entirely sure, and I remember going and seeing a gynecologist, and she was like, oh, yeah, this is totally normal with what you're do- what you're experiencing um, being on the pill, and for years, I started to develop more and more problems like I had chronic UTIs yeast infections mm. my um I just remember uh, having like horrible gut health issues uh my immune system just seemed like it tanked I just couldn't I couldn't not get sick I was always sick And all kinds of other issues like dry skin, hair, everything. And so um, I finally went and saw an acupuncturist who a friend was referring me to because I had an allergic reaction to a UTI medication that landed me in the ER. So Mm. I go and see this acupuncturist after, you know, many years of my friend saying, just go see this guy. And he was the only person in my whole life who had told me that the pill could be causing the problem. Like this could be the reason why I was having all these issues. And I had seen like 15 doctors like, this point, so it's like my early twenties now, and I'm finally like, okay, I'm going to come off of this pill, and and with his help, I really did, and it really changed everything. And so fast forward many years, lots of research, lots of everything, and you know, and I wanted to learn how to you know how to help other people because I thought, well, if if I can do this, others can too, and so that's what led me down this path. And you know, here we are, like nearly twenty years later. Um, wow, yeah, it's been quite a journey,
0: and. I've now helped lots of people, not just one person. I was just happy to help one person at the time. Wow. I mean, that's a story. And, you know, I find a lot of people that get in the health space, um, we end up here because we have, yeah, like a health issue that we really struggle with. And then once we get to the other side, we really want to help other people see the light. And I think what you're doing is really important because like you said earlier, a lot of women don't even understand that the symptoms that they're experiencing have any sort of connection to the pill. Because we were told from a very young age, I mean, I remember when I was like, how old was I, maybe 14, all of my girlfriends started getting put on birth control. And at the time, I was one of the very few that wasn't experiencing any like heavy bleeding and cramps or anything like that. I had a pretty normal period. So I didn't have any need to go on the pill. But I remember at the time, it was like cool and like trendy because everyone was getting on it all of a sudden. And I wasn't even having sex then. I was just like, man, I want to be on it. All my friends are, you know, and it wasn't communicated to all of our friends at 14 that they were going to. Have all these issues or to look out for these symptoms. In fact, I even remember um, when I did go to my gynecologist later, a couple of years later, when I was having a bit of like a hormonal issue um, asking things like, well, is this going to cause me to gain weight? And I remember they would always kind of dance around this. Like there were like questions about symptoms where you would say, well, I'm really concerned about this, um, you know, causing, uh, like gaining weight, or I'm concerned about X, Y, and Z. And they'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Like you don't have to worry about that. Like they basically sold it as like a fix all pill with no symptoms.
1: Totally. Like a period panacea. I know it's so true, right? I know. And and (laughs) Don't you just laugh thinking about the fact that that was your biggest concern, weight gain, when you yeah. think about the myriad symptoms associated with it? The- oh, I know. It's laughable. It is, right? I know. I <laughs> laugh all the time when I think back to that because that was my big question, too. I was so worried and I had no idea about, you know, the basic depletion of your sex hormones that basically caused this cascade of problems for me, um, much less, you know, all the other things. <laughs> which you can go yeah. into, but it's crazy.
0: Well, let's go into that. So what are some of the common conditions or like side effects that you hear from women or also what did you experience in regards to being on the hormonal birth control pill?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say that one of the biggest things I see or have seen over the years is a loss of sex drive. And while I didn't necessarily experience that so much, I did start to have this vaginal dryness and then sex started to really hurt. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm in my early 20s Bummer. in college. <laughs> if this is what it's gonna be like, this is not fun. And so that's what I see a lot of. And, you know, oftentimes it really just depends, right, on the person's genetics. It depends on so much, their biology, what's going on with their bodies um, about, you know, what will happen because some women take the pill for years and and without any real side effects, or at least without anything noticeable, whereas others notice it within a month. Right? They'll they'll yeah. start to say that their mood has completely tanked, or you know, women will say that they've felt suicidal. They, you know, there are lots of major mood related problems that show up. So those are the ones I see. It's a, those physical um, vaginal dryness, UTIs, yeast infections, and then the the mood component. That's what I typically see the most.
0: I don't want. I don't want to make light of this, but I do think it's kind of funny and ironic, the loss of sex drive. because, Like, is that kind of how, I like, I know this is not the case, I'm just making a joke out of it, but is that part of the reason why the pill works? Because you go on it and then you don't want to have sex anymore. And isn't the whole point is that you can go on and have as much sex as you want, but then most women have little to no sex drive when they're on it. And I'm just like... It's just very ironic.
1: <laughs> Isn't it though? I know. I mean, there's so many ironies with the pill. It's ridiculous. So I agree completely. It, I I used to think the same thing. Like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. So what's the point of even being on it? Yeah. Women have asked me that many times over the years. Should I just come off this thing? Because I don't even want to do this anymore. Because like,
0: I don't even want to have sex anyways. So like, what is even the point of being on this? Like, you know, it, yeah, it's crazy. Well, and then you add on, you had mentioned earlier the gut issue, which is a huge concern. Um, it causes a lot of issues and gut distress in women. I don't know if you've seen, there's this trend on TikTok right now um, where they say hot girls have IBS or hot girls have stomach problems. And I think it's it's multifaceted. There's a lot of reasons why women are de- dealing with bloating and st- stomach issues and IBS and all this. But I think a large part of it is that a lot of women are on birth control and they have no idea the birth control is completely messing with their guts.
1: Yes. I mean, I completely agree with that. Uh, so many of us are on it and that absolutely it's a big part of it. Um, first of all, that I did not know that was a trend right now. I can't believe that I try to stay away from TikTok. generally. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming for me. Um, but yeah, I this is it's so unfortunate because we're it's this perpetual normalization of pretty serious health related problems that I don't really understand. It it makes me think about things like period pain and irregular cycles as just being completely normal. I mean, I would say that those are two of the biggest things that women go to their doctors for and then get prescribed the pill irregular cycle so that the pill can quote unquote regulate the cycle and period pain, which, you know, will basically diminish in many cases or disappear completely when you're put on the pill. And so we have so normalized these two conditions. When I think about period pain, particularly it's, it's only normal when we're talking about uterine pain, like why is pain normalized? I don't get it. It's so strange because when we're talking about other body parts, it's not normal at all. And usually there's some investigation into what's going on, but with period pain, nope, that's nothing to see here. It's totally normal. And the same with irregular ovulation or irregular cycles again, like that, you know, there's actual research that says that's the first sign of like a full body endocrine disorder. Like there's something going on Mm -hmm. with those body systems and that irregular ovulation is a sign that your body doesn't feel safe, doesn't feel secure enough to ovulate on a consistent basis. So what's it missing? So we've, like I said, we've made these things into common normal um, experiences for women. And then of course they get into their 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s thinking that this is okay. And, um, and all of these problems have been brewing below the surface for decades.
0: Well, and the problem is, so I see this a lot online in general. There's this trend of trying to normalize these symptoms that are not normal. Just because they're common and a lot of people are dealing with them right now and just because it's like a trend that we're seeing does not mean it's normal. Like there's also, I mentioned the IBS thing, there's also this normalization of bloating and look, I'm not saying that like you don't bloat occasionally, you have a big meal or whatever, but I'm saying like women are saying it's totally okay I bloat to look like I'm 6 months pregnant after every meal and I'm like that is not normal. And now this is not to shame someone that's going through that, but like, I wanna say, hey, that's not normal. Let's get to the bottom of this. Like, let's get to the root of what's happening here. And the same thing happens with PMS, which is something I really want you to speak to um, with cramps and mood swings and swollen, tender breasts and all these things that we have just told women like, oh, that's just, you know, it's just a part of your cycle. It's just a part of your suffering in life no this is when our bodies are suffering and showing us these signs and symptoms it's our body going hello hi like something's going on here please address this
1: i could not agree with you more i've always said um you know it might be uh normal in society but it's not biologically normal and and i think that that's something that really holds true for pretty much everything that we're seeing all these trends along across the board now and you know when it comes to pms I, i think that it's it's so paradoxical because first of all women are like wait this is an actual thing and uh, it can be taken seriously and at the same time there's also so many things that can be done to address it and it doesn't really need to be such a thing and you know so i feel like first of all like you said right so it's first of all it's been normalized right that all of these symptoms that we're experiencing are just part and parcel of being someone who menstruates and it sucks, and you kind of just are told to deal with it. So premenstrual syndrome or PMS, it's also known as PMT or premenstrual tension. So that's basically a collection of physical and psychological symptoms, and they show up in a cyclical pattern, uh, and they coincide with the second half of the menstrual cycle. So that's that luteal phase. And these symptoms, they show up somewhere between like two and seven days before your period begins generally, and then they'll resolve when menstruation starts. And the reason I say all of that is because some women experience um, depressive symptoms or or psychological symptoms throughout their cycle, and that's something that's completely different. And I feel like sometimes we have to differentiate between the two. And so when you're experiencing these symptoms, usually it's like a range, right, of the physical and emotional symptoms, and it includes things like the bloating, like you mentioned, fluid retention, the cramping, lower back pain, acne. Uh, your appetite might change, your sleep might change. Uh, you might have stomach upset, things like that, breast tenderness, all of this stuff. Um, and what I think is so important to remember is that your hormones are fluctuating, right? We we are cyclical beings. And so, of course, things are going to change. uh, But it's really important to remember that they change, but they shouldn't disrupt your life. And I feel like we've just been conditioned to think that these disruptive symptoms are just a part of the experience of being a, a woman, being someone who has a period. And I feel like that is inherently wrong and but anyway that's a whole other sort of like patriarchal misogynistic conversation to have. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm of two minds on this. And the reason I say that is because the symptoms we experience are indeed legitimate. There's no doubt, right? The hormones are changing, but I prefer to think of them as a message from your body that something is, is awry or has gone awry. You're not just randomly sort of dis- descending into premenstrual hell every single cycle for no reason, right? It's like your body didn't just decide to do this. And also I ask women to think back to when this started. What were the precipitating events that caused this to you know, start and then potentially get worse because there usually is a series of events that happen and oftentimes what I hear from women too is that they were fine in their 20s and then all of a sudden they hit their early 30s and things started to get progressively worse and so obviously these symptoms are highly influenced and very much dependent on a number of different factors, nutrient deficiencies, uh, psychological stress, especially in excess, uh, certain gut health related issues, blood sugar abnormalities, all of this, right? All of this influences ovulation and hormone regulation. And so ultimately what this means to me is that these symptoms range in severity depending on what's happening in our lives. And as such, we actually have a lot more control over how our luteal phase unfolds than mm-hmm. you know,
0: we've been led to believe. So that's my thought on it. I think one to point out that you said that I think is really important for women to hear because I think a lot of women are suffering from this is the blood sugar dysregulation. So PCOS and insulin resistance are very heavily related. And if that is not communicated to a woman who has PCOS and then she's just going about her day not at all taking care of her blood sugar levels and recognizing that maybe she needs to be more mindful about carbohydrate and sugar intake, then, you know, the PCOS, she's going to continue to suffer from PCOS. And that's just one example. So let's say someone, um, let's say women are listening and and they're suffering in varying degrees and, You know, everyone is bio-individual, so I really want to stress this for everyone listening that we're not going to be able to give you any definitive solutions here. But for people that are looking for answers for suffering, what would be some kind of steps? Like maybe what doctor do they look for? Maybe there's some diet changes they can make
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I want to say that blood sugar is so interesting, like blood sugar and insulin in general, because it influences our sex hormones and then our sex hormones influence insulin. So I feel like that's a really important first step for everyone track your cycle, understand where you are in your cycle, start paying attention to the symptoms that show up and track them in an app. Um, Because in that first half of your cycle, so that's the follicular phase, that estrogen is building and building and it'll crescendo at uh, ovulation time. But that higher estrogen in the follicular phase actually correlates with increased insulin sensitivity. So what this means is your insulin works better and we need less of it to control blood sugar in that first half of our cycle. So, you know, if there was the time you're going to eat the cookie eat it in the first half of your cycle before ovulation and what's really interesting is around ovulation insulin sensitivity starts to decrease and that's likely due to the fact that that peak of estrogen when it gets too high it can actually decrease insulin sensitivity so it's kind mm-hmm. of complicated <laughs> and annoying because you know it would be nice if it was just the same throughout the month but we're not built that way ladies. So um but you know the estrogen also it can modulate the insulin release from the pancreas. So there's a lot going on there with estrogen and what's really interesting is that once estrogen drops post ovulation um progesterone starts to rise in its place and insulin is, you know, higher in the luteal phase in general and higher progesterone seems to affect that insulin sensitivity in a negative way. Um, Not that it's bad. It's just that if we tend to eat more of the sugar and the carbs and things like that in the second half of our cycle, we are, ten- we are more prone to having those blood sugar swings and we're more sensitive to those blood sugar swings and the drops in the second half of the cycle. So this might explain why we're just ambushed by These cravings in that second half. So, I want everyone to just start paying attention to that. You know, and when I say track your cycle, I mean get an app and, you know, and start like paying attention to how long your period is, how many days you're bleeding, how much you're bleeding, um, and then like looking for signs of ovulation. So, that could be a slight cramp down where your ovaries are. It could be a little bit of bloating. Um, You'll notice big changes in your cervical fluid that changes quite significantly. It goes from a sticky, sort of dry feeling to a very wet, um, stretchy egg white, like uh, cervical fluid pattern. Um, so those are all signs that, you know, ovulation is is on its way or about to happen. And so you can now start to think about how you're eating as it relates to your hormone fluctuations. And I feel like that that alone is such a huge change
0: that you can see so many positive effects from. I've really struggled with chronic anxiety most of my life. I've been really honest about this on the podcast as well as my Instagram. Outside of talk therapy and really addressing the root cause of my anxieties and getting to the root of my traumas, one of the things that has really helped me the most with my anxiety is taking CBD consistently. I am obsessed with this brand, Cured Nutrition. Everything is organic. They use really high-quality ingredients. And I know the founder personally. I love his mission. His desire and commitment to really high-quality products is above and beyond any other CBD company that I have seen Their commitment to quality is so high that they test all their products. So you can actually go to any of the products that you buy, look at the batch number, go on their website and see the lab results from that specific batch number. They test for heavy metal toxicity. They test for pesticides. Also, they show that the amount of CBD that they claim is in their product is actually in there, which shockingly enough is a huge problem with CBD companies. Many of these companies are claiming that they have higher amounts of CBD than they actually do some companies that are really sketchy are claiming that they have CBD when they don't have any at all. So quality control is really, really important. It's super important to Cured Nutrition, which is why I love this brand so much. Also, if you guys go to curednutrition.com slash realfoodology, you're going to save 20%. Make sure that you use the code realfoodology. And again, that is cured, C-U-R-E-D, nutrition.com slash realfoodology. With cold and flu season around the corner, I just want to take a quick second to talk a little bit about a supplement that I created with 2x4 Nutrition. It's called Real Defense. And what it is, is a liposomal supplement. If you are unaware of what a liposomal supplement is, I would highly recommend going back and listening to the episode with the founder of 2x4 because we go into extensive detail what it means and why liposomal supplements are up to 15 times more effective than supplements, traditional supplements like capsules and gummies. When you're taking a supplement and you're spending money on it, you obviously want it to be bioavailable for the body and for it to work. So this is probably one of the most highly effective supplements that you can find on the market. And I created it in conjunction with 2x4 after everything we went through the last couple of years. I mean, we just became more aware than ever of the importance of our immunity and making sure that our immune system is in a place where we can defend from whatever it is that our bodies are exposed to. I spent a lot of time helping them formulate this and everything in here is science backed and specifically in this supplement because it has immune modulating properties. It has vitamin D, zinc, quercetin. Quercetin is a zinc ionifer, which means that it pushes through the cell wall and gets the zinc into the actual cell so that it can help fight off whatever it is that your body is going through at the time. It also has elderberry, which is really high in vitamin C, chaga mushroom, which is really great for the immune system, eleuthero root, and astragalus root. And of course, because I created this supplement with them, it is non-GMO, it's sugar-free, there's no natural flavors and it tastes so good. You can take it on a day-to-day basis. Also, children can take it. You just want to consult with your doctor on how much to take if you're giving it to your kids. And I really love this supplement. I take it every day, and I really double down on it when I feel like I'm getting sick or when I catch a cold or something like that. So if you guys are interested in checking it out, go to 2x4.com, that's 2x4.com, and search for Real Defense. I hope you guys love it. I'm curious to, um, hear you talk a little bit about how, so we, we were told that the pill, um, regulates our hormones and what really shocked me when I found this out years ago is that it actually complete, completely shuts down our ovulation and then replaces it with other synthetic hormones. So what's happening, um, with ovulation and that whole process and can we even really be in tune with our bodies when we're on the pill?
1: Yeah, I, I know. It's really tough because I agree. When I found that out, too, I, my head exploded. <laughs> I couldn't quite believe it because, of course, for all those years I was on it, I was told completely opposite. And, and that's still the message. We'll see if it starts to change because I feel like there's enough of us talking about this now. I mean, when you think about the pill, so I'll, I'll take the combined oral contraceptive. So that's basically ethanol estradiol, which is the estrogen replacement, and a progestin, which is the progesterone replacement. And so you're taking the estrogen or the synthetic estrogen in the first half, and then you switch to progesterone for the second half of your cycle. Um, And so like you said, right, it's basically shutting everything down and it's replacing your hormones with those synthetic hormones. And so that ethanol estradiol, by the way, is very potent, more so than your own estrogen. So it's sending a signal to your hypothalamus, which is in your brain, that then tells your pituitary that there's enough estrogen in the body. So there's no need to make LH and FSH. And these are the two signal hormones that tell your ovaries to start getting an egg ready or a follicle ready to release an egg for ovulation. So when your brain gets that message that there's enough estrogen in the body, that it doesn't need to make those hormones that then would actually make more estrogen then it's like okay that's cool sounds good and then none of this happens right so ovulation literally just doesn't happen anymore and that's the mechanism of action of the pill the problem is is that that ethanol estradiol and that progestin are not really like your actual estrogen and progesterone and so they come with a whole host of side effects so not only are we shutting down ovulation which by the way i mean is responsible for Making adequate amounts of estrogen and progesterone and these estrogens and the progesterone are responsible for amazing things in our body. I mean, I could go on and on like our brain function and our cognitive function. They're both really important for, um, you know, executive function, uh, mood issues, all those kinds of things Our sleep. It, you know, when you think about in the second half of your cycle, you struggle with sleep, it's because your estrogen is dipping typically. So again, we really need that. And perimenopausal and menopausal women say they sleep badly. It's, it's likely their hormones, um, bone density, heart health, breast and uterine health. I mean, I could go on and on our vaginal health. That's why I had all those problems while I was on the pill. Um, and the other, other thing is, too, estrogen supports vaginal microbiome diversity. So, again, the yeast infections, it it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Vaginal tissue lubrication, as well as you know, skin and hair. It's Estrogen is crucial to skin thickness, elasticity, hydration, hair follicle health, um, melanin production. In fact, progesterone and estrogen balance out the melanin production. So if we have too little of one or too much of the other, we could end up with melasma all over our face or on different parts of our body or other pigmentation-related disorders. So I feel like all of, these, all of these wonderful benefits come from the act of ovulation and the production of these sex hormones. And so without them, we lose all of that. And then on top of that, we have the side effects that are associated with the synthetic uh, you know, estrogen progesterone. And so one of the ones I think about, actually, it's you know, something you'd, you'd mentioned or you'd asked about um, prior to us recording was the, was the effect of the pill on blood sugar and, you know, and it really does actually change the insulin response in the body and insulin sensitivity. And that's because I mentioned earlier, like your estrogen, when it gets too high, it changes your insulin sensitivity. So if you, so that ethanol estradiol definitely does that, um, in the wow. higher doses of the pill. And then the progestin is so fascinating too, because it actually decreases insulin sensitivity um, and it can also have an androgenic effect. So there's certain progestins that have an androgenic effect, and higher androgens typically can cause insulin problems
0: in the mm. female body. So there's like there's a lot that goes into this. What is the issue for people listening to have too high androgens in in our body? So there's
1: multiple things. So androgens are made in the theca cells of the ovary,
0: and what's and they're male sex hormones, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and we're, we have a little bit, but we shouldn't have high amounts. Okay, we shouldn't yeah. have high amounts. Yes, exactly. Although we
1: have quite a bit, we have more, um, more than the estrogen that we have more testosterone than the estrogen mm. that we have, but that's really because the testosterone is converted into estrogen through aromatization. And so what is, I think really interesting about this is that when we, when we have too high androgens, it basically causes ovulation disruption so we have the testosterone converted to estrogen in the ovaries and then that estrogen tells your brain right like you've you've got enough so now we can switch off fsh And then LH can come into play and it'll spike and we'll have ovulation happen. But what happens typically is that with these higher androgens, that estrogen signal just doesn't happen. So Mm. oftentimes, especially women with PCOS, like you were talking about earlier, or women with insulin resistance, that can happen to them too. um, You have a situation where your androgens are too high, your brain doesn't get the signal, and you don't ovulate for like three months or six months or at all. And so this is why it's so problematic. And then, of course, it's all the other symptoms like the hair growth on your face or other body parts or the hair loss on your head or the greasy skin and the acne. I mean, you know, it's 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 like a very unfair world, <laughs> basically,
0: yeah. when, you have, when you have
1: to deal with all of that stuff.
0: Well, and you think about, too, there was a study done um, that women on the pill uh, more often than not end up getting put on antidepressants, not too far after because there's a lot of mood disorders linked with this as well. Women deal with a lot of depression and anxiety being on the pill because of that whole cascade of hormones that you were literally just talking about. And it's so, this is what makes me really angry about this is that again, I said this earlier, but it's like, this all just happens. And if we're if we're not being told the complete truth about this, if there's not informed consent, then we're just kind of along this ride in life where we're like, oh, I mean, I guess now like I'm depressed and this is just part of my journey of life. When I can't tell you how many times I've had friends tell me this, I've also read this online, I've heard it on podcasts, that when women come off the pill, they feel this like dark cloud lift And it was never communicated to them that they could even have any sort of mood disorder or have any sort of depression while on the pill. And I think this is a really important part of this conversation because a lot of women could be suffering from depression that they think is just like, well, I guess this is just my life. And they have no idea that it's this pill that they're taking.
1: I could not agree with you more. It really gets riles me up too. I have to tell you, and yeah. I I think about this often because so here's a really interesting story and and this was what I think really highlighted it for me. So a friend of mine who is also in women's health, her daughter recently went to college and she decided to put her on the pill. She was going to college and she was trying to figure out like the best option for her, and so she's never had you know she's never been on a pill before really doesn't take any medications of any kind and generally is really healthy and whatnot and so within the first month um she started getting utis And then got a yeast infection. And then she got, um, I think, maybe mono or something like that. And it sounded very much like my story, actually, in college. Yeah, Yeah, because it was just this cascade of things. You could Mm. see so clearly, because we know now, what was going on. But how I was treated was just, you know, constant revolving door gynecologist in and out for medications for the UTIs and for the yeast infections. And then I didn't even know I had mono, actually. I just felt so sick. And my immune system was jacked, and so I just thought maybe I had like this this three week flu. I I had no idea. I was like in my twenties. Who knows anything at that age? Um, but yeah, so I remember distinctly having all these things happen. And she's describing this whole like I said cascade of events that was happening to her daughter. And finally, she came home and she was like, "You're done with the pill, and we're gonna get clean up your gut and do all of these things." But how many girls are like you said being put on the pill or you know even something else like the iud which is also not benign um and they're yeah. you know they're starting to have these what feel like seemingly unrelated symptoms and then and they're going and being treated by different doctors in different fields because i went to the gut doctor and i went to the skin doctor <laughs> for because i had melasma all over my face mm-hmm. and i you know i went to the gynecologist and you know i did all kinds of stuff and and nobody was communicating with each other so of course this is all separate siloed off and and then like you said you know 10 years go by and you and this just is the norm for your life right you're you're just kind of depressed or you just have chronic utis or chronic yeast infections or chronic whatever joint pain and yeah it's it really sucks
0: yeah it really sucks and um you know and all these symptoms that we're talking about are um i don't want to invalidate them but they are you know more like inconveniences than anything else. Well, besides the depression, I mean, that lowers your quality of life. But my point in all this is saying that like all of these side effects aside, a lot of people don't know this, but the birth control pill is actually classified as a a class one carcinogen. So that's a whole other thing is I'm like, okay, we're just talking about like UTIs and stomach issues and bloating, which again, I don't want to invalidate. Those are huge issues. But then on top of that, you also add on to the fact that it could also... Um, cause cancer in your body. And we've been told every time I share this on my Instagram, I get all these messages from people saying, no, 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 it actually like lowers your chance for cancer. And I'm like, why are they saying that?
1: I know it's, I, it's really, I feel like there's just, there's so much misinformation. And I think it's such a challenge because when you think of the history of the birth control pill, you think about the fact that first of all, it's been around since, you know, the early 60s and it's so popular still because of the fact that you know, this is our society, right? The cultural narrative is that convenience is everything and popping a little pill every morning is a pretty easy way to prevent pregnancy, right? And so when you think about it that way, uh, you could see how it's, you know, very similar to the cholesterol drugs or the blood pressure drugs, right? It takes a significant amount of work to figure out the underlying cause. And often the treatment requires substantial long-term changes in diet and lifestyle. And as you and I both know, right, that's hard for a lot of people. And it's also unattainable for a a lot of people too because i was just having this conversation with another friend in women's health yesterday and she was talking about uh hormone replacement therapy and some challenges she's experiencing it with it in perimenopause and i was like wow you know it's so challenging for us to kind of figure out what's going on with us and we're in this field we're in this work So what are regular women doing It, it? I know how hard it is. And then of course, the system is not exactly set up for you to find the solution. It's just, you know, you're kind of slapped with a pill and that shuts your body right up. And then, you know, you're sent on your way. And when you think about The fact that the pharmaceutical industry in the 1980s, there was a whole shift in the US from using birth control pills solely for contraception to offering them as solutions for so called, you know, lifestyle conditions. And so it's the same things you were talking about, right? Like the period pain and the acne and their regular cycles. These are all, like I said, lifestyle problems, not so much, you know, all the other, like the big thing of, of contraception. And the reason they moved away from that was because it was a lot cheaper to do that. So they just rebranded a lot of their pills as things for PMS and PMDD, painful periods, heavy periods, irregular cycles, and um, acne. And then of course, menstrual suppression completely. It's like, you remember those ads for Seasonique? Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. the one that yeah, allowed yeah. you to get it three times a year? All right, I always <laughs> thought those were so weird. But anyways, oh, and so crazy. this is really reflected, right, in the modern day use of hormonal birth control. Because when you look at the numbers, um, you know, it's something like, I think 42% of people use the pill exclusively uh, yes. for, con- oh, hold on, no, it's 58%, sorry, 58% of people uh, use the pill exclusively for non-contraceptive purposes. So that's you Which know or, cr- all the pill users.
0: Yes. Yeah, so it's that well over 50 Yes, exactly. Because you think about Like it's not even being, it's not even mostly being used to abstain from pregnancy. It's being used to mask symptoms that we need to be getting to the root cause of. Like, why are we not, why are doctors not saying, huh, maybe we should look into the reason why you're having really heavy periods, or maybe we should look into why you have this acne that's unrelenting or why you have these really heavy cramps or whatever it is like that's what we really need to be focusing on and that was actually going to be my next question so um what what is a common cause for heavy bleeding in a girl like especially in like teenagers or i guess really like at any age
1: At any age, yeah. You know, with teenagers, it's a little bit different. And so I'll talk about that because I don't ever really talk about it unless, you know, I'm focusing on the teens. But what's interesting is that, you know, the first five to seven years after a girl gets her first period, her reproductive system is obviously adjusting to this new role of, of doing this egg thing every month. And so what she'll typically experience is uh, occasional and ovulatory cycles. She'll get, you know, these slower follicle development. So meaning that she might have longer cycles and a smaller dominant follicle, right? So smaller than what adult women would have. And so what this means is that they might have these skipped periods, they might have irregular cycles, they might have more frequent or heavier bleeding. And that's just because of the lack of progesterone. So that progesterone really does sort of like um. I, I feel like it just meets estrogen where it's at and it, it sort of Controls the growth of the lining because um, estrogen is a stimulating hormone, so it's going to grow the lining, whereas progesterone will slow it down. And so when we don't have enough progesterone, estrogen just does it keeps doing its thing. And so that's why we tend to see that a lot in younger girls and teenagers, just because things are still trying to work themselves out. So that's what I see. But then of course there's other reasons for heavy bleeding too. Um, oftentimes, you know, and that's usually this is usually accompanied by pain. But endometriosis is is a big mm-hmm. one. Um, Um, for all of us, but it seems to just be overlooked in in teenagers. And there's this weird myth that you're too young to have endo. At that age, Mm. it seems to be a thing that I've heard a lot, um, which is a huge problem because it's actually the number one cause of period pain in teenagers. So we should really be looking at that. And then other things as well are adenomyosis that's typically found in in adults, not so much in teenagers. Uh, But adenomyosis is is kind of like endometriosis, but it's essentially where the the, um, lining grows into the muscular wall of Mm. the uterus. And so So, it sort of like thickens it and makes it like a sponge. And so, we end up with extremely heavy bleeding. Uh, Thyroid disease, low thyroid function, which, as you know, is epidemic, Uh, that's a big one for for heavy bleeding as well as bleeding disorders. So it's another thing. So many people have bleeding disorders, but Mm. we aren't even really testing for those. So that I feel like these are the things that we should be looking at, like you said, talking about the root cause, how we can be just putting everybody on the pill as if like that is the solution is so upsetting to me when something like endometriosis, for instance, can be left for decades to grow and grow and Uh. literally deform the insides of somebody, uh, not only their their uterine, if their uterus and their ovaries and the fallopian tubes, but also your bowels as well it can really cause so so many problems and it's it's just I yeah, it's criminal to me. it really is
0: it is criminal because like you said, women can go on for you know, ten plus years without having this diagnosis and then they get to a point where they're in so much pain and then you have to have really extreme interventions. I mean, I had a girlfriend who was suffering from such extreme endometriosis and she finally got surgery and her doctor afterwards was like, you had so much that I'm shocked that you were able to have bowel movements. And this had been going on for so long and it was, you know, doctors were just throwing her on the pill and um, just kind of like skirting around it, just putting, putting a pill over to mask the symptom basically is the best way to put it. And we're we're doing a disservice to women by just throwing them this, what we're calling a quick fix instead of actually diagnosing and being like, okay, this is the issue at hand. Now what do we do to address it? Um, another question I have for you. Um, so whenever I share, I talk pretty often, I'm pretty open about uh, birth control and all of this that we're talking about on my Instagram, and the most questions that I'll get from women are, "Okay, but what do I do? I have endometriosis. Like, I have to take it. I'm dependent on taking the pill."
1: Yeah, I, and I listen. I feel like you know, I come from a country where there are no doctors who are going to help you if you have endometriosis, and I know many, many women are in the same situation throughout this country and many others all over the world. And mm-hmm. and this, I think, is a big it it really is sort of like a bigger part of the 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 issue of like women not being taken seriously in medicine generally and are oh, yeah. not studied enough and there's definitely not enough money that's put towards these kinds of conditions and researching them and and finding treatments for them um and I would just say that you know I understand that sometimes the pill is the only option in some cases in fact probably in many cases uh, and at the same time, You know, we've I think we've been taken out of the equation of our healing right from from this conventional medical standpoint. And I I think Mm. that that really is what fundamentally needs to change. And we also have to decide that we have more control over this situation than we've been led to believe, because I remember feeling completely out of control of my situation. And I remember bouncing from doctor to doctor kind of like how I take my car to the mechanic, hoping that they're going to fix this thing because I don't want to deal with this. And I, this is not my forte, but your body is your forte and you really need to get to know it and figure out why it's doing what it's doing. And again, endo adenomyosis, you know, thyroid disease, bleeding disorders, these are all pretty serious conditions, right? But a lot of us don't have those. A lot of us are just not ovulating consistently because we are living in an environment that is completely incongruent with our biology. And when we start to to start to pay attention to that and start to think about, okay, well, maybe this extreme amount of stress is causing me to not ovulate consistently. And when you understand your biology and how our bodies actually work and the fact that if we are chronically stressed and, and an insane amount of stress and sometimes it doesn't even need to be that much. Uh, our our body is not going to think it's safe to ovulate. And there are actual mechanisms in place to stop ovulation. And Mm. I could talk about that too. You know, it goes all the way from your brain, all the way down to your ovaries. There are multiple steps that your body will take if it senses danger. Our biology has not changed in, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. So we don't know, or our bodies don't know that this modern life is what's happening we just think we're running away from something that's dangerous or we're in a, a dangerous situation uh, even though it might just be the stress from work or the stress from your relationship or whatever so i think that that's like one of the things that we really have to come back to is like what control what you can control and and that i think will change so much and that you know that really does include as you talk about so much what you're eating, what's on your plate, like what, you know, what you're exposing yourself to, who is in your life that is stressing you out or what's in your life that's stressing you out. Um your gut health as well as your, you know, your liver detoxification function and it, it, we could go on, right? Like it's there's so many different things and I think that we have to decide that first of all, we have control over the situation or we have some control. And secondly, what are we going to do about it because I this modern world that we live in is definitely not in. It's I think it's so detrimental to our hormonal health. And we have to, I I think
0: it's up to us to say, okay, like enough is
1: enough and make changes for our own well-being.
0: A lot of people are not gonna want to hear this, but there is a certain level of responsibility that we have to take ourselves. Like you said, I mean, no one's coming to save us. No doctor in the world is gonna be able to help us if we are not actively participating in this as well. We have a lot of agency. And this is something, you know, this is another trend that I've been seeing online is that people kind of just throw their hands up in the air. Not everyone, but I see this a lot. Like people just kind of throw their hands up in the air and they're like, well, I have no control over it. For, For whatever reason, it's like we've gotten this notion now that we have no control over our health and our bodies. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We actually have a lot of control, you know, not saying Um, that we have all of it, because there's other factors at play here, but um, we do have a lot of agency and it does require a certain amount of, okay, I got to figure this out and like starting to take control of that. I think another thing that you talk a little bit about is um, trauma and how does that affect our hormone health? I know um, I have a really good friend, uh, Christian Gonzalez, or a lot of people know him as Dr. G on Instagram. And he's got, he's been really diving into uh, emotional health recently and releasing our emotions and naming our traumas and being aware of that and, and really taking agency over. Um, okay. You know, we may have gone through something really traumatic and something that really affected us and we have no control over that, but we do have control over what we're going to do about it and how we move forward.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I think I speak about it from my own perspective when I was 11 uh, my dad uh, died in a plane accident and um mm. it was obviously extremely traumatic for all of us my mom's dad had actually died very suddenly 2 months prior to that so she sort of was just plunged into the depths of you know you can only imagine despair and um and for us You know, it's crazy when I think back because it's so different now. No one ever asked us how we were doing. My sister and I, it was Mm. you know, about my mom's loss and we were just young and resilient kind of thing. But nobody really thought back then about how children were affected by this. And and now, of course, we have so much more awareness of adverse childhood events. And, you know, and you can even do a test online to see what your adverse childhood events have, you know, how they've impacted you or at least how many you've had in your life and and so for me i distinctly remember as things got progressively worse as you know my all this unresolved trauma from my dad dying like that um and you know sort of losing all sense of stability and safety in my life at that age it's like that the crucial puberty time too so there was just a lot going on um i could see how as all of that continued to build up that all of my period related problems just got progressively worse uh, as I, you know, I got into my teenage years and and then like into my 20s as well. I mean, because it took a long time to start to recover after coming off of the pill and, you know, and, and I did I had to do a lot of mental and emotional work. And I'm just thinking actually about what you were saying about how much control we have. And I, I recognize that it, life can feel really out of control for so many of us. But at the same time, I really believe in bridging ourselves from one place to the next because, you know, for me, I, I remember, you know, I was in my 20s. I'd finished college. I was studying film production. That was my big dream back then. And, and I was working in TV and film uh, throughout that decade. And um, I was married as well, got married really young. It wasn't working out. And I was like, OK, how am I going to get out of here? How am I moving to New York City, which is where I really wanted to live? I lived in Florida at the time. And. How am I getting out of this relationship? You know, there were so many big, what felt like insurmountable issues in my life, and I did not have the capacity to deal with them. And so it was like one little thing at a time. And eventually, you know, we did move. And then eventually the relationship, you know, came to an end and I figured it out from there. But it was, it was very, a very concerted effort on my part to make small shifts to get to the bigger things. And so I feel like we, we do have some semblance of control over the you know the day to day things that are happening in our lives and so sometimes those big things aren't going to happen right away and yes they are going to continue to impact your health and your well-being but ultimately you will get to the point if you are making sort of like consistent change in your life and so that was it for me and that was my experience so i just want anyone who's listening if they think that you know life is just feels like it's just too much and there's no way that they can take control of their situation like trust me i was able to do it with very little resources I mean, in college, I remember that same acupuncturist was $60 a week and I did not have that. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to get a haircut and I'm not going to do this. And somehow you prioritize what becomes you know, most important to you and getting my health back was for me. So yeah.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I too had a very traumatic loss at a young age. I was eight. My little sister uh, tragically died in, in a car. She was hit by a car on her bike. So I just wanna say I'm I'm so sorry and I can I can relate to your story in the sense that it the same for me. It was about um it was all about I was so concerned about my parents and their grieving and their loss that, you know, exact it was kind of a very similar story. So anyways, I just wanted to say that I can relate to you in that way and I'm sorry that you had that experience as well.
1: Oh, same to you. Oh, my God. I mean, it is like it's hard to even when you think about that experience as a child, because you don't even have really the emotional capacity to understand what's even happening to you. Right. And then it isn't until decades later that you're suddenly plunged into the depths of despair and you really you have to literally dig yourself out of it. So I'm so sorry that you went through that, too. It must have been absolutely horrendous.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I mean it was horrible and and like you just said it was it was a wild experience for me to um wake up in my 30s and realize oh my god that actually happened to me, which sounds so crazy to say, but like you said when I was so young, obviously um it 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 impacted me, it changed my life and it was absolutely devastating But simultaneously, I didn't even really understand what was going on. I didn't even really understand what had happened. It was such a blow that I was like, ooh, you know, like I don't even know what's happening right now. And it wasn't until in my 30s that I was like, wow, okay, that really happened and I should probably address this and i share this with people to say that you know and you don't even have to go through something as traumatic as that like everyone's story is subjective and everyone's worst day is their worst day so it's not to compare but i share this because um, you know we're we're often so focused on our diets and drinking clean water and all the things that go on our body and all those are very very highly important and i want to go into that next But I think often we forget that um, trauma and our emotions, these all have a real impact on our health as well. And they can have an impact on our hormones and um, obviously our mental health. And these are really important components that are not being talked about enough. I think it's starting to be talked about, but it's important that, um, yeah, that we talk about this and encourage people to um, start looking inward and doing whatever you can to. Uh, heal those those parts of you.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I yeah, you. I mean it's critical, I think. And we're finally at that point in our society where we're really acknowledging that, which is amazing. I had, I saw some friends recently who I hadn't seen in a long time. And uh one of them was telling me about the emotional development in her seven year old's class that he is learning and and experiencing and I was just like, oh, my God, if we could have had that as kids. And, you know, he brings home this little sheet of paper and it says, like, I feel this when you do this because this and I was like, wait, I need to use that in my relationship. (laughs) I mean, it's so amazing. And so the teacher sends a note with him, with all the kids to say, parents, this is your homework. And amazing. I just could, I couldn't even believe this. She won teacher of the year in their district, of course. Wow. Like, yeah, there's a reason for that.
2: Do you suffer from IBS or other digestive issues? Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? From the producer of the Real Foodology podcast comes the all new health and nutrition podcast, Digest This, hosted by Bethany Ugardi. You may know Bethany as the face of the popular Instagram page, Lil Sipper, or you may have even read her book. Now you can find her wherever you get your podcasts. On Digest This, Bethany examines topics such as gut health, nutrition, the food industry, and highlights specific ingredients that can be beneficial or harmful to your gut health. She also explores non-toxic options in beauty, home, and cooking essentials. If it has to do with your health, Digest This is talking about it. Each episode features an interview with health experts, doctors, and wellness advocates, and delivers you information that is well, easy to digest. Bethany also delivers a weekly segment every episode called Bite of Knowledge, where she highlights an ingredient commonly used in food, skin care, household cleaning, you name it, and gives you the lowdown on the benefits or dangers that ingredient might have in your everyday life. From Botox, potassium, olive oil, and magnesium, all the way to those ingredients you can barely pronounce on the back of your cereal boxes, Bethany has you covered. There's a reason why it debuted at number two on Apple Podcast Nutrition Charts. Check out Digest This on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.
0: Well, I want to be mindful of your time. Before we go, I really do want to talk about this for a second just because, you know, this is real foodology and love to talk about diet and dietary choices. So when it comes to food and diet, how do our dietary choices impact our cycle? And um, do you have any sort of tips around that for anyone that's struggling?
1: Yeah, you know, yes, from t- from the person who has struggled with all the things. Um, yes, I, I. First of all, I want to say, like I said before, that your your the hormone fluctuations definitely influence how your blood sugar is going to be. It influences, they influence all of that. So keeping that in mind, I think, you know, really getting honest with yourself, like, what do you intuitively know that your body needs or wants? And I think that we can all tune in and kind of figure out generally like what the biggest need is but ultimately your body wants to feel safe and secure so that ovulation can occur on a regular basis. Um, And not just on a regular basis, but also ovulation that's healthy too, because that will produce the right amount of those sex hormones that we were talking about. And so ultimately my focus has always been on, you know, blood sugar balancing meals uh, and, and keeping that as stable as possible, because that, you know, across the board, I've seen that work the most miracles. That if you are able to keep your blood sugar relatively stable, then your moods stabilize, your your energy is better, you can sleep better. I, I'm sure everyone who's listening has had some point where they drank too much one night or they ate too much sugar and then they couldn't sleep properly that night. Um, and if you haven't, welcome to your 40s; it's coming.
2: <laughs> uh, get yep. ready, girl.
1: Uh, fun times. Buckle up. So right. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> and so. I, so that is it for me, ultimately. And it, it kind of looks a little different for different people, but I have found that you know, making sure that you start your breakfast. And even if you start the day with breakfast that has 25 to 30 grams of protein in it, um, that's like two eggs and maybe like two sausages and a little bit of, of fruit and some vegetables, you know, like sauteed broccoli or something like that. That alone can, I mean, set your whole day up. So that and like also getting sunlight in your eyes first thing in the morning, something I've been doing for years and I highly recommend it in the winter time. I'm a big fan of using one of the little light boxes is because i live in connecticut and it's pretty oh, dark yeah. outside right now it sucks um and it's mm. two o'clock in the afternoon so Dang. yeah so these these basic things honestly i'm not a big fan of over complicating things <laughs> i have found over the years that there's a tendency for us to make all of these or include all of these very fancy foods and all of that and i'm pretty boring and so yeah, you're not going to get anything fancy from me, but I feel like is already accessible. complicated, right? Isn't it? I know. I feel like yeah. it's already so complicated. And, you know, I found that a lot of women are, are drawn to eating with your cycle. So changing up your food with your cycle. And for me personally, I feel like you can be a little lax with the blood sugar stability in that first half of your cycle, like I was talking about. But then in the second half, you really want to you know, be be more buckled up. Um, but generally, I'm not. I don't really subscribe to the whole idea that you need to make drastic changes for each phase of your cycle. You know, whether it's when you're menstruating or the follicular phase or ovulation or the luteal phase. I think generally you can keep it pretty similar, and that should should keep things steady again, like I said, it's a little boring, but it really works.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, that's great. And I think those are really good tips. It's, uh, I think it's really, really important to drive in the um, importance of having a lot of protein and a good amount of high quality fat, because those two, the protein and the fat are really going to help balance your blood sugar and um, keep you from having those blood sugar dips and the swings and all of that. And especially if you're really trying to regulate your hormones, that is incredibly important. And Um, good quality, you know, grass-fed organic um, animal products. If you can afford the organic and grass-fed, go for it. But if you can't, I mean, just in general, like really having animal protein, I think helps a lot.
1: It does. I've seen it so many times and that that's been the thing over the years is that so many women coming to to me who are vegan or plant-based and their blood sugar is all over the place and they Mm -hmm. have nutrient deficiencies and they're really struggling. I mean, our ovaries need zinc. They need zinc for follicle health. They need magnesium. They need vitamin E and vitamin C. I mean, vitamin C actually helps your follicle produce more progesterone. So those, those nutrients in particular are so crucial. I'm, a big fan of whole food vitamin C supplementation. Um, vitamin E supplementation is amazing too. It's so interesting. I've been using those two recently. And just in my charts with my temperature is seeing higher progesterone or higher temperatures, which usually indicates higher progesterone. And I'm 43. Like I, I really am a big Oh, You amazing. Oh, thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would not have guessed that you were in your forties. When you dropped that earlier, I was like, Whoa. What? Really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my gosh. You make my day, girl.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yes. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, just trying over here <laughs> with all the good food. Um, but yeah. So I, you know, I am really big believer of, of having those bioavailable nutrients as well. And as you said, right, animal protein is kind of one of those, one of those foods that's going to give you that um, plus, you know, high quality supplementation or the highest that you can, you can afford, because I think that will help tremendously too, because I understand that, Sometimes life is crazy and you need to support yourself a little bit more. And so I think that's where supplements come in and can be so
0: helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, before we go, is there anything else that we haven't covered about hormonal health that you think is really important for people to know?
1: You know, I just think ultimately that for us, we have been, as I said earlier, sort of taken out of the equation of our healing for so long. And we have sort of been led to believe that our bodies are just what we've got. This is our lot in life. And you're just meant to have this X condition, you know? And, and I just, I just don't believe that. And I, I, I believe, yes, of course, like there are genetic predispositions, but so much of what you do in your life has an influence on Mm -hmm. how something manifests or develops. And so I think taking back that power and knowing that you have a lot more control than you ever thought over how your body acts and how it functions is, you know, it's so incredibly empowering for anyone who is listening and, and just trusting that there are solutions, there are ways to address the problems that you're dealing with. And you're not just stuck with this. This is not just your lot in life.
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think that will resonate with a lot of people. So I have a personal question for you before we go. I ask all my guests this, what are your health non-negotiables? So no matter how crazy your day is or your week is, these are things that you prioritize for your health.
1: Yes. Okay. So it's funny because this has definitely changed over the years. Uh, you know, I laugh about this a lot. Like sleep is my thing because and I never even cared about sleep before. I mean, I wrote a book as so you don't, you, if you write a book, you never care about sleep. So it's crazy. <laughs> It's
0: ridiculous. Oh no. I'm I barely write a book. Slept.
1: Oh girl, get ready. We'll talk. We'll talk. Um, <laughs> I think you're, you're way more prepared than I was. Um, but yes, I found, especially in as you get into your early 40s, it is shocking, everyone. It is shocking. <laughs> much your sleep kind of deteriorate without doing much, by the way. Um, you know, I remember people used to say to me that in your forties, you know, like you could just eat like one cookie for dessert or whatever, and you wouldn't sleep for the whole night. And I was like, that's ridiculous. You're like, come on. Yeah. Are you kidding me? One alcoholic beverage. Yep. That'll do it. It's crazy. So wow. that has been my big thing. I got myself an aura ring and I track my sleep religiously. I know. Right. Hi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I really feel that it is so, so important for us. And when I think about the incredible benefits of it obviously um from the hormonal perspective and again your body needs to feel safe it needs to feel rested it needs to feel well fed in order to ovulate consistently and that should be your goal so the sleep is the non-negotiable and i have a red light therapy device too which i really really love as well um so i would say those two for now but there's you know probably like 50 more
0: yeah those are great yeah. Well, Nicole, thank you so much. I just want to say that I'm so grateful for your voice in this field. It's really, really important and you're helping and impacting a lot of women's lives. So thank you.
1: Thanks, Courtney. I really appreciate it. I would say
0: likewise, you are too. And I'm so grateful for your work as well. I Love everything thank that you, you share. Thank you so much. So for everyone listening, where can they find you? Yeah, so everyone
1: can find me at nicolejardim.com. That's my main website. You can find my book and places to buy it on fixyourperiod.com. I'm also on Instagram. I spend most of my time on social media there, so that's at nicole M. jardim. And um, you can also find me on my podcast. It's the Period Party. So that's generally. I love
0: that name. <laughs> the Period Party. It's so Some good. I
1: think it's really obnoxious, but I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, it's fine. We make fun of periods and we try to have a good time with it because, you know, serious stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We got to make light of things, you know, it's how we get through life, you know, not take everything so seriously. So I, lo- I love that. Okay. Well, I will make sure to link everyone and yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked the episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie. Georgie is spelled with a J. For more amazing podcasts produced by my team, go to resonantmediagroup.com. I love you guys so much. See you next week. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and doesn't constitute a provider-patient relationship. I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. As always, talk to your doctor or your health team first.